Hi there, welcome back. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by A Life of Education. Alifeofeducation.com is the UAE's only dedicated health and fitness educational website delivering health and fitness content to fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts from a variety of sections of the health and fitness world. With talks and lectures in areas on nutrition, anatomy and physiology, sports medicine, female development, yoga and pilates, strength and conditioning, uh, the business of fitness, um, and a bunch more to be added in the future. Allo's mission is to bring leading experts from around the world of health and fitness together on one platform to share their knowledge and expertise on a global scale. So another one of the courses, we've gone through some of these in previous podcasts, but one of the ones is going to be um, a gait analysis, um, which is by a physiotherapist called Joe Maynard. Um, and it's going to be basically on kind of what are the stages of gait um, what to look out for when your client is sort of walking and then running um, what happens at the foot what happens at the knee what happens at the hip where the knee and hip should be during different parts of the stride in order to sort of maximize your, your client's uh, uh, performance outcome and reduce the risk of injuries there's also a section on abnormalities of gait and how to go about fixing those um, moving on to this podcast today, this is myself and Matt spoke to Neil Copeland from Turn Cycling. And Neil is an ultra endurance cyclist. And what that means is he cycles for days and days and days in a row with very little sleep, very little nutrition, um, solo without a support car over mountains uh around cliffs through countrysides all over the world um we get into sort of quite uh quite interesting conversations about what it is to be on a bike in the dark in the cold in the rain at the top of the mountain three four thousand feet high i think it was some of the heights we spoke about and traveling a distance of sort of 1800 kilometers in one stage so in one day from start to finish um, really interesting conversations. Really interesting to meet people like this. These people who are just crazy, and for lack of a better term. Um, but we'll get into it. Um, you'll hope you enjoy it. This is myself, Matt, and Neil Copeland. Welcome back. Um, it's myself again here with Matt. How we doing? And we've got Neil Copeland from uh, Turn Cycling. How you doing, Neil? Yeah, hi there, guys. Uh, I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me along. No worries. Um, so kind of fresh off the back of our last podcast with Toby, um, you, we, we got in touch with you regarding some of the cycling that you're doing. But before we get into that, do you want to just tell people sort of your original background, how, where, you, where you came from, and then how did you get to Dubai and make the leap into cycling? Uh, Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from the UK. Uh, My wife and I moved to Dubai about two years ago. Um, I have been cycling pretty much all my life uh, since the age of uh, 12 or 13 when mountain biking first came to the UK. Um, Mountain biked 
throughout my teenage years and, and early 20s uh, and then eventually got into road cycling and big events uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, started off with a, an event called the Grand Ray Christop, uh, which was a, a long distance mountain bike ride or mountain bike race, 130k all off road, uh, five and a half thousand meters of climbing and uh, kind of looked at the profile and kind of started to worry a little bit about how I would ever do that because it's uh, that's a big undertaking and that kind of triggered my uh, my interest in in training in coaching in how I can improve myself as a as a cyclist um training for a mountain bike race uh, I also did a lot of road biking it's a very good way to train because you get really good consistent workouts uh, and that gave me a love of road cycling and I've been doing lots of events ever since uh, probably the highlight of that was doing the Hope Route uh, three years ago uh, no four years ago now which is a seven day stage race uh, across the Alps for amateurs they, they reckon it's the closest you get to a, a pro experience as, a, as an amateur rider uh, lots of climbing and uh, you know, I knew I had to step up my training for that. So, you know, invested in a power meter, read up about how to use it. So, you know, that's kind of my my cycling history up to coming here to Dubai. Um, my background is is not as a coach. Um, I uh, I worked in IT and management consultancy for twenty years. Uh, that's what brought us out to Dubai two years ago. Uh, but then we'll call it a fortunate series of events uh, led to me leaving the company. Uh, and in a position to look at doing something else uh, with my with my life and, and with my career, um, I've always loved coaching people. I've always loved teaching people. I used to be a snowboard instructor. Um, I loved that aspect of seeing people improve, of, of having an impact on someone's enjoyment of a sport. Um, we were riding a lot out here in Dubai. Cycling is really taking off out here. Every time you go down to Al Qudra, it seems like there's more and more cars parked there. Every time the season starts, there seems to be more and more people taking part in it. And, you know, we looked around and we, there, there was definitely a gap for a coaching company that really focused on the everyday rider. Uh, how do we help normal, everyday riders achieve uh, goals that seem impossible to them or difficult to them really good example is coast to coast coast to coast is a long ride it's a kind of a marquee event here in the uae and a lot of people want to go and do it uh, but a lot of people think oh i don't know if i can or i've entered and now i'm worried i can't make it so we kind of launched with that kind of philosophy of how do we help people achieve those kinds of goals that was uh, a year ago now and uh, it has been an amazing journey since um, it's kind of been more popular than than we thought imaginable um, we've grown really really well we've had some really good success with people achieving things that they thought they would never do um, like coast to coast uh, just had a guy out in Mallorca recently complete Mallorca 312 so this guy's gone from starting riding about 14 months ago to taking on a 312 kilometer uh, race around Mallorca. So, what's the what's the coast to coast for those who don't know? So, coast to coast is an event that happens uh, every November, uh, run by Urban Ultra. Uh, it starts on the west coast of the UAE, uh, down by uh, Mumzar Lakes in Sharjah, and it finishes in Alaka over on the uh, over on the the eastern side of the country. Uh, it's two hundred and four kilometres. And for certainly for the UAE, there is an amount of climbing. You do about twelve to fourteen hundred meters of climbing as you make your way over the over the Hajar Mountains uh, just after Shauka. 
Sweet. And uh, like, what's the process then with coaching? So is it you get somebody who comes through the door, are you helping them select a bike, fit it, then do their training? Like, How does the whole process sort of work? So no- normally we, we get involved when uh, you know, someone's been cycling for a while. They, you know, they usually they have a bike, they know how to ride. They've been doing uh, maybe some group rides down at Al-Qudra. They have a goal in mind, uh, whether that is something like Coast to Coast or one of the other events, or they feel they have reached the, the end of where they can get to uh, by themselves. So they then come to, come to me. I talk to them about their goals, their objectives, what, are they, what motivates them to ride, what inspires them to ride, um, what do they want to achieve. Um, we then go through some initial assessment of what their capability is, so uh, what volume of riding have they done recently, sure. how, uh, how, much, you know, how much power can they put out. We do some initial testing uh, so we can get people in, do ramp tests, find out maximal power outputs and find out maximal heart rates and that gives me a baseline set of metrics to start developing uh, a training plan from there is this in a lab or you're taking them out on their bike doing it uh we either we can either go out if they have power meters on their bikes it's yeah. something we can do outside uh or uh with the the smart uh trainers that are available these days um i, I have one called a, a wahoo kicker i can go around to people's houses and and do the test there and there uh, there and then in their own homes that's cool and like what sort of so they come to you you're you're getting them set kind of set up on the bike you do these tests first yeah before anything sort of happens and then what's the next stage from that is it then just developing a program or is it are you telling them like right you need to kind of scrap this bike and go and buy something completely different or no i i always try and work with what people have got yeah you know i I don't want to be someone who says well i can't really do anything until you change this or until you do that you know it's about cycling is a it's a pastime and a passion yeah. And you want to keep people riding, get people riding, rather than put limitations on, on what you can do. So I like to work with what people have got. Sure. Um, you know, I've got people who've joined me recently who, who are still on mountain bikes. Yeah. But that you can still develop programs that will help develop their fitness, develop their, uh, develop their strength, develop their ability to ride progressively further and further. Um, so we'll take that and then we look at, right, well, what's, what's the goal? How far away is the goal? What are the requirements of the goal? So every, uh, every ride has different physiological requirements. Mm. If you're training somebody to do uh, well in a, a short course, say one hour, 40 kilometer race, that's a very different set of requirements to helping someone who's not ridden much before ride for eight hours to go across coast to coast. Yeah. So you look at what they want to achieve. How do you then tailor the program to develop their physiology appropriately how do you then look at the skills required because some of it's skills based um you know a lot of people learn to ride out out here in in dubai um because we've got such great facilities yeah sure uh but people who've just spent the last kind of two years going around (laughs) al-qudra uh can often be challenged when it comes to cornering can be challenged when it comes to going downhill so you know you look at the skills aspect of it as well it's about trying to create or, or help people become more complete cyclists, I think. Sure. Because it's like, certainly when we did our podcast with Toby, like I had no idea how much actually went into fitting a bike. And so then it, the thing I sort of thought about is like, well, if you're doing these baseline tests, it must be like the complexity to it in terms of determining, okay, are you, are you generating lots of force because like you're particularly strong or is it more the equipment or sorry actually like vice versa if you're not generating a lot of force 
how do you decide, okay, is it the bike? Like, and if we just make a couple of tweaks, we can get like kind of the power output we want. Or is it, okay, actually, you're just particularly weak? Like, do you, do you sort of take them through different movement tests and things like that as well? No, so we don't really take them through movement tests. I, I look at how people are on a bike. And if you can generally tell whether someone looks comfortable on a bike or not comfortable yeah. on a bike. And if they're looking uncomfortable, if they're complaining about uh, you know, pain on the bike, then generally I'll send them towards a bike fitter. That's, sure. that's their profession. I don't, I don't claim to be a bike fitter. I can understand when I think somebody needs help. Uh, and then I will push them off towards uh, to, towards the right kind of person. It, it's then around looking at you know how do we how do we develop their ability to partly apply force, but mainly increase uh, increase aerobic fitness on the bike. Right. Cycling is a very uh, most cycling events tend to be quite long. Yeah. So that is generally the most important thing is we develop the ability to ride for four, five, six, seven hours. Um, and, and that's often what gets a little bit lost here in Dubai. We go out, we smash it for an hour and a half in a group. Yeah, and we sure. go, brilliant, I'm riding mm-hmm. quick. I'm riding fast, I'm a good rider. Okay, right, now go and ride for six hours by yourself. Yeah. That's, that's a bit more difficult to, uh, to, 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 to start, start doing. So, you know, we look at it, 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 I look at it like a pyramid. We, we start at the bottom. We develop the, the right base aerobic engine. And from there, we're layering up the ability to go at the higher intensities and the quicker speeds. But it all comes from having that solid uh, baseline aerobic engine. Sure. And is that like for most people you see, like, is that the common sort of uh, limitation that most people have when they come and see you? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, when, I f- when I first started doing this, uh, I started working with uh, a group of five people. And, and one of the girls who I was working with came to me afterwards and said, I thought you were going to stand behind me with a whip. Yeah. pushed me really hard I was really surprised when you actually got me to go slower yeah sure and that's all around building the underlying aerobic engine you know you yeah. go slower you create the right adaptations quicker and people then race faster yeah and you know this this lady said to me by going slower I got quicker yeah absolutely I think that's always like the common misconception of coaching like people always have it in the view that I just need somebody there to kind of shout at me and make me go faster and harder. I mean, we see the same thing in the gym as well. They, they have the expectation that they just need to be pushed and that's the key to sort of success rather than let's break down what's actually involved in the things that you're doing and then let's kind of tweak where the limiting factors are. Yeah, and also let's include recovery. Yeah. Let's factor in recovery into, the, into this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the two, the two biggest challenges I have are getting people to slow down. Yeah. And then getting people to rest enough. Rest is, as I always say, rest is where the magic happens. Rest is the most important thing we can do. If you're not taking the right rest days, if you're not recovering, especially after higher intensity workouts, if you're not sleeping well, then you are constraining your ability to perform. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm really interested in those holistic benefits for people. Um, you know, I've read a lot of research that says if you go out and you exercise, like within the first two hours of sunrise then that fits in with your biorhythms. Yeah. You then stimulate the, uh, the, the cortisol production at the right time. You then sleep better at night. And then when you sleep better, well, the growth hormone gets released, you recover better, and you get stronger. So, you know, it can contribute to a huge, huge amount of well-being. Yeah, particularly with endurance sport as well, because you're just generally cooler in the mornings as well. Like your body temperature is not quite as high, so you sort of offset fatigue a little bit longer than you would, say, training in the evening time when like, a lot of these levels and hormones spike. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, a lot of the research has shown that for people looking to improve performance, that works better if you train in the morning, but also for uh, people who are exercising for weight loss. Yeah. All other, all other things being equal, he, those who exercise in the morning lose more weight than those who exercise in the evening. Yeah, for sure. Just because of the way it fits in with all of, all of that uh, hormone production and, and what have you. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people as well, they, their appetite tends to decrease a little bit after. I can't remember what it says, that the research goes back and forth on this a little bit, but I think it was, yeah, people's general appetite after heavy bouts of endurance training tends to be less. Or was it, yeah, and then compared to, say, like weight training, where it tends to be a little bit higher. I said a couple of my colleagues back when I was doing my masters, they looked into that, but there was there's a few conflicting bits. But that was one of the suspected mechanisms. <laughs> but. Yeah, oh, it's it's all it's also a great way to start the day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you just get out of bed and you get it done, and then I think it's particularly if you have a nine to five job, all the little stresses and strains of the day won't impact on your training time. Like you just have it done. Yeah, I've I've had a few uh, people come back to me and say. It, it's, it sets them up for the day well. They feel more mentally alert. Um, they're better at their job. So yeah. it's kind of back to those holistic benefits of, uh, of staying fit and healthy and, and having a structure to that. Yeah. But it's, it's tough here, though. Like, as we were saying before the podcast starts, like, for you guys, when you're doing your kind of ultra cycling stuff, like, you have to get up at like, sort of 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Like, what's your typical sort of routine at the moment? Yeah, so we're just, uh, we're just coming into the summertime. So it's getting really hot what um, are you training for right now what's on the the season how's it looking so uh yeah again we were talking before the podcast i've just started to get into ultra racing this year uh so i've done two events uh in oman and corsica uh, as part of a uh, a four race series with uh, a, a series called biking man uh the next event is on the first of july and that is in peru uh, which is going to be quite brutal. Um, that is 1,800 kilometers uh, with 32,000 meters of ascent. Nice. Um, so kind of to put that into context. 1,800 kilometers cycling. Yes, in a single stage. So it's up to, <laughs> it's up to the rider to choose. Uh, Sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, I wouldn't say it's awful. I, I think you have, to, uh, you have to enjoy that kind of riding if you're going to do it because you've got to be really... Uh, motivated to push yourself yeah. uh, not it's not you don't push yourself like super super hard you can't ride that hard but you've just got to push yourself really really long um yeah i mean it's 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 the distance is going to be a challenge the climbing is going to be more of a challenge so you know 32,000 meters of climbing is um you know to put that into th- something that people here in dubai will understand that's like 32 ascents of jebel jace um and I think the winning time will probably be around six days. Jesus. So what, from here, what's 1,800 kilometers away on the map? 1,800. I don't know. It's probably somewhere in somewhere Saudi Arabia, like somewhere in the Middle East. Like. It's like an hour flight. Yeah. Oh, at least. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah more, more than that. Yeah. Uh, so, I th- so Muscat is 400 kilometers away. So yeah. it's like riding to Muscat and Muscat back. Muscat takes about 50 minutes to fly. It's about kind of four times Muscat and back. Or nice. Muscat and back for twice. You land somewhere in the So Europe. it's a long way. So but, that's, a, but, so but that's it, about two and, what, a two and a half hour flight? So, all of that. Yeah. So a two and a half hour flight, say from Britain, will get you somewhere in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like down to Portugal. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to cycle that in yeah. one stage. In one stage, yes. So... Whoa. And over the mountains, 
Yeah, yeah, and that, it's the altitude as well that's going to be a challenge. So we'll be going up, I think the highest point is 5,000 meters above sea level. Now, 5,000 meters above sea level, you've got 20% less oxygen, I think. Um, you can start to see the impact of altitude sickness. Uh, you certainly see a massive performance degradation. Um, it's in the middle of their winter, so it's going to be cold. Yeah. Uh, so we're expecting, you know, it's quite far north, so it's close to the equator. So temperatures down, down at sea level will be around 30 to 35 degrees. When we go to the top of the mountain passes, it could be down to minus five, minus 10. Jesus. So a massive, massive range of conditions yeah. to cope with. Uh, so kit is going to be challenging selection. Um, you've got to try and go as light as you can, but you can't afford to be in minus 10 degrees with, with nothing to keep you warm. Yeah. Um, so, so let's start back. So what's, what's your training at the moment then? How have you been preparing for this? So uh, I've just come off the back of uh, Biking Man Corsica. That was the second race in the series. So that was 700 kilometers, uh, 12,500 meters of climbing. Right. Uh, I came... 12th in a time of 44 hours um and the good thing is i'm now sitting top of the standings uh, after two races so the the races themselves help you develop the ability to ride long yeah uh, i'm not worried about my ability to ride for i think the first day i rode for 22 hours uh, before stopping and getting a bit of sleep um to do that in training causes a lot of breakdown of the body so it's not actually beneficial from a physiological sense to train that long physiologically six hours is about the limiting point for developing aerobic fitness um it's the reason you would do it longer than that is to develop mental strategies for coping or to develop your uh, sleeping strategy so in the run-up about three weeks ago four weeks ago i did a overnight ride around al Qudra. so i set off at like seven o'clock one night i rode 300 kilometers through the night uh, and included a 90 minutes sleeping on a bench nice. out in the back of the desert. <laughs> just to get used to it. Uh, just, just to get used to it, you know, just to get used to uh, sleeping for a 90-minute cycle, yeah. uh, for being able to then wake up at 2 a.m. And, and get on your bike and get going again, because that's mentally really tough. And Ooh. how frequently in the, the week, sorry, like how, how often are you doing this? So I will do, probably do that uh, only once between now, and, uh, between now and the start of Peru. It's not a... Uh, I know the strategy I'm going to go into Peru with. I know I can ride for that long, so I don't feel like I need to do that a lot. Yeah, sure. What I'll be doing in terms of uh, of uh, the training for Peru is I'll be doing a lot of uh, long six-hour rides, so six to seven-hour rides. Um, I'm doing a lot of work to train at what we call tempo, so kind of low zone three, 85% FTP, um, which is like your threshold power. Mm. Um, the idea is to push and stretch that out from a duration perspective if say now i could ride at 85% ftp for let's say 90 minutes i want to be pushing that to ride 2 hours 3 hours yeah sure because that then will lift my race pace so race pace is, is going to be a lot slower than that but i need that to be as high as it can can get yeah, so, so basically like your average speed throughout the race mm, needs to be high yeah yeah um you know climbs are going to be two three hours long so you know my five minute power is is not that relevant yeah. but my ability to ride hard for one to, to three hours is so yeah a lot of a lot of six hour rides a lot of kind of fast two to three hour rides and then a lot of interval work uh between kind of 10 minutes to an hour to push my uh push my threshold up as high as it can go sure so when you say develop mental strategies 
What does what does that mean? Riding for twenty two hours with when you're by yourself and you've got no one but your own thoughts for company is tough. And it's easy to kind of lose track of where you are. Uh, and you can sometimes kind of deviate away from the race. You kind of forget that you're in a race. And that's when you start to lose time. You've got to stay focused all the time. So you need to think about uh, how do I do that? So for me, mental strategies are around how do I break down the day? I break the day down into three-hour blocks. A three-hour block is something that I can comprehend and I can deal with. Uh, but then the important thing is to develop a process around that three-hour block. So how do I ensure that I know what I'm doing? How much should I eat? How much should I drink? How often am I going to stop? Um, nutrition is absolutely critical on these things. You know, you're burning... In a, if, you're, if you're riding for 20 hours, you can be burning 10,000 calories. Um, so you need to make sure you're eating enough. And again, that's where the process helps, the strategy helps. You know, right, every, t- every three hours I'm going to eat this. Mm. And then you keep repeating that through the day. You stay on top of your feeding. When you lose sight of your feeding, which did happen to me uh, last week in Corsica, that's when you start to lose track of what you're doing and you no. slow down. How come you lost track of it? Just, just uh, it was kind of midnight it had been raining uh, i was freezing cold you know you're kind of getting verging on hypothermic you're descending from 1200 meters it's five degrees you're shivering you can't control the bike and you just you you're you mentally switch off and and then you forget to eat and then you forget how important that is and and then you find you know five hours later you get to a checkpoint and you've gone oh i could have done that probably an hour quicker so you've lost an hour shit are you not thinking i'm freezing it's 5 a.m. Yeah, why am I here? Why don't I just stop and go into that building and get warm for a bit? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do a lot. It's, uh, it's really hard to say what you think of. You'd think in all that time on the bike, you'd kind of solve world peace or yeah, sure. kind of at least plan my, uh, my world domination. Uh, but you kind of, you almost get into a, a Zen state of mindfulness where you just, all you're thinking about is turning the pedals um yeah i did for, to be honest for about five hours through the night i was just thinking about getting to the checkpoint yeah uh getting into a tent and trying to get warm and dry um well i I'm, I'm trying my best to kind of bring this back to to everybody so i was doing a lot of uh facebook live videos mm. from from out on the, on the bike yeah yeah so there's one of me at about midnight in this village in the middle of corsica and I played it back to myself the other day, and I was not in a good way. <laughs> what was it? How did it look? Uh, I, I just looked like I was on a different planet. I was speaking really <laughs> slowly, and my eyes were just puffy and baggy, and I, I'm sure I wasn't really making much sense. I was with a fellow competitor at the time, uh, and she was just giggling incessantly in the background, <laughs> uh, just because it's like midnight, and it's just enough. the humour of it all yeah. was uh, just a delirious, kind of, just, just kind of dawned on us, yeah. really. <laughs> Jesus! And so, so then, what, what are your go-to foods then? Like, if you hadn't missed it, what would you have had? Um, Haribo is always a go-to, oh, really? always Haribo. a go-to food. Uh, I, I love to eat normally. So my wife is a is a nutritional advisor. So generally, when we're at home, I I have to eat really really healthily. Yeah. So when I'm out on the bike, I like to use that as an excuse to eat everything I'm not normally allowed to do. 
Are we uh, going what standard Haribo? Are you Star Mix Man or are you getting Haribo Sours? Uh, the, the tropical, the Tropicana Haribo, all of those. Yeah. Um, the uh, the place we were staying at before the race in Corsica had the best selection of Haribo <laughs> I have ever seen. So I used that as an opportunity to to try some new ones. Um, I, I'm also known. Uh, I, I race for uh, for a team out here, Team uh, VCUAE, uh, and I'm known there as the ice cream guy because you know ice cream is always a really good go to food. Um, but You've got to, uh, I, I like to eat a range of things. You've got to eat a range of, you, you've got to be eating fats and proteins as well as just pure carb. Yeah. You know, you can't just fuel yourself on, you know, readily, readily absorb sugar for, for that long. So, you know, what I did, I had little feed bags on the front of my bike, um, which allowed me to ride. I, I could go about six hours before stopping and needing to get more food um, and sandwiches. You know, I'd like to find the guy who invented the baguette and yeah. thank him for making it, or her, for making it the perfect size for a, a cycle jersey. So right. I, had, uh, I had sandwiches uh, that were just sticking in my back pocket. I'd broken them into like five sandwiches. So every three-hour block, I'd have a sandwich. Right. And that was back to the process of how you manage your three-hour blocks. So I'd have a sandwich, I'd have, probably have a packet of Haribo and a gel and an oat bar uh, and probably four uh, bottles of water in, in each three-hour block. That's how the burger was invented, apparently. The, the beef patty was invented by um, Attila the Hun and his hordes, basically keeping the meat underneath the saddle because it was just convenient. They just flattened down these bits of meat, slopped them under Might the saddle. Might stop my saddle sore then as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, a bit of paddling as well. Um, so how does your diet look down the rest of the other 364 days? Um, Do you follow any special plans? Are you keto, carnivore, veg, vegan? So I'm a, I'm a carnivore. I, uh, if I were to describe my wife's philosophy on food, it's uh, eat, eat fresh food, uh, eat a range of different uh, of different nutrients, get the right blend of of macro and micronutrients, uh, fresh food, um, and lots of colour. So a typical dinner will be uh, a salad with a whole range of colours in it. Uh, so you know, pepper, pomegranate, uh, carrot, um, cauliflower, not cauliflower, cabbage, um, beetroot. Uh, cucumber, I've probably said that, lettuce, just just all kinds of things mixed up, uh, beans, and then some good whole grain uh, source of carbs. So usually uh, bulgur wheat is my particular favorite. And it's just, you know, it's got more fiber in it than if you go into white rice or things like that. And then, uh, you know, a, a, a good protein source. So whether I'm having, you know, chicken or fish or, or lamb or a steak, and, and that kind of, that's pretty much what we eat. Uh, most of the time breakfast really important if I'm riding I'll have or if I'm doing a long or a hard ride in the morning I'll have porridge uh, if I'm not then I'll have an omelette um, often if I'm doing a shorter ride I'll do a fasted ride and then come home and have a have an omelette when I'm done and again you know salad and salad and protein for for lunch and is that the same all day right up until the day before or do you have a special like pre-event pattern that you'll follow no not really um I, I don't i mean i you know when i look at when i first started racing mountain bikes kind of 25 30 years ago everyone would have a pasta party the night before um I, i'm not a big believer in i, I don't specifically carbo load how many people do these days i think uh that was kind of a almost like a, a fashion thing a few years back whereas most of the endurance athletes i know wouldn't even bother you know yeah i just carry on carry on eating healthily um 
again, if I look back to when I started doing big events 10 years ago, you know, we'd be on the start line drinking sport drink before the start of a, of a ride, yeah. <clears throat> before the start of a race. And, and again, that's, that's I've, you know, I've stopped doing that now because you just you consume a load of sugar before you start riding. You'll just have an insulin spike and crash. Like, do you feel, do you find that happens? Yeah, you? you'll crash like an hour into the, the ride. So well, how does, what does a crash feel like? I just feel like you need more sugar. <laughs> Feed me more sugar now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, I, I, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Um, I, I would not start really eating um, until about an hour into a ride. So just make sure everything's going first. Um, breakfast, if I can, two hours before riding. Um, start the ride and, and then start eating. And and for me, just continue to eat throughout the ride. That's that's what keeps you going when you're doing you know, these really, really long rides. You've just got to keep eating. And what's your game plan for taking naps and sleep? Like, Do you have that set up beforehand as well? Or is it, like, I can't ride anymore, I just got to go? Um, <clears throat> what do you do about toilet stops as well? <laughs> um, so I, I, on the, let me cover the toilet stop first. You, I think as a bloke. Just I'm, go, man. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a bloke, you, like, you just stop and you, you go by the side of the road. Uh, I did do the, uh, there was a race earlier on in the season where uh, Mark Cavendish and some of the pros came over to do the, the Abu Dhabi to Alain uh, classic for That's the first crashed, year. Wasn't it? Is that where he fell off his bike before the start? Uh, oh, I don't know. He, 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 some British cyclist had a tumble for, on the rolling. Oh, uh, yeah, this, this was it. I think that was Cavendish, but it was about three or four weeks ago. I can't he, remember which race it was. So anyway, so there's this race back at the beginning of the season it was a kind of pro-am race and, and quite a few of us went down to get involved. And I actually, I, I had to stop to uh, kind of relieve myself. And you, you kind of worried about chasing back on and, and then you see, ah, some people seem to have stopped. So I did, I stopped and then found I was chasing back on with Cavendish and I've never ridden so <laughs> hard in my life. I, I got back into the peloton and that was it. I was completely destroyed. Um, so what happened? You, you'd caught up with a group and not realizing that it was Mark Cavendish's group? No, well, I hadn't realized that he was one of the people who'd stopped to uh, take a comfort break as well. Right. So there were kind of 10 of us who'd stopped for this comfort break and then you all chased back on. Only it was me, uh, about four of the non-pros and about six pros. So the pace was just <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, I was, he was probably just cruising slightly above uh, above his normal endurance pace and i was going as hard as i possibly could and i think if it had been you know a minute longer i'd have been blown and off the back and and toast um but to, to come to the sleeping strategy I, you know i'm still learning how to do these these kinds of races and that's the that's one of the things that you learn a lot about very very quickly you can lose a lot of time sleeping especially if you're checking into hotels so you, you know you're within you perfectly okay to check into a hotel sleep in a, a nice bed you can also just curl up by the side of the road uh, or you can just keep on riding um i think my objective with the last race in corsica was just to see could i get by on very little sleep so i slept for two hours in 44 hours of riding um, and that was where did you sleep uh, one of the checkpoints there was a tent put up um but it was just a tent and so you, you can then only obviously use what you've got on your bike and i had what i was wearing and a, a really thin bivy bag so you just kind of get into your bivy bag in this tent and curl up like a ball and yeah. just try and try and get warm um you know it does de- depend on the length of the race it, 
what it's looking like is anything up to two days people can just race through without sleeping um or getting very very little sleep like one or two hours so for me around 90 minutes works really well mm. so uh you know rate ride for 22 hours 90 minutes sleep get up and ride to the finish line uh as as i go to peru which is going to be probably seven or eight days you you got to get some sleep so probably i'll be working on kind of three to four and a half hours sleep per night maybe until you get within kind of two days of the finish and then you just keep keep going till you cross the finish line which has some very interesting effects on the mind um we we all were talking about or all, all those people who got very little sleep uh were talking about hallucinating yeah you see shapes in the side of the mountain so i was seeing i saw like a the, the mouse off the gruffalo <laughs> was on the side of the road uh i saw a pig like a hundred feet long uh made out of bushes on the side of the road so this is at like you know two o'clock in the morning on the last day so you really start to see funny things and i I know people who've done longer races where they're more sleep deprived and they see goblins coming out of the trees at them it's it's a pretty interesting experience to go through like (laughs) and the next stage is like death right like when you start hitting the hallucination stage and all this does anybody fall asleep on the bike yeah absolutely i can imagine that like you're in the rhythm you push 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 and your brain is just going right see you yeah a, a common cause of uh, uh of scratching from races for from ultra uh rides especially the, the longer distance ones is falling asleep falling off your bike and breaking your collarbone uh, that's that's happened to a friend of mine jeez and do you get many people kind of experimenting with uh different sleep strategies like have you ever seen anybody like take loads of micro sleeps like say they stop every like hour and sleep for 10 minutes yeah uh, so i think you probably I, i've certainly seen people ride for like six hours and they'll sleep for 10 minutes and then just every six hours i'll get like 10 minutes by the side of the road yeah. um the one of the guys i was riding with uh the, the first race i did he said the thing is neil when you're that tired you'll sleep anywhere yeah for sure so uh, you know i i, I was riding past guys in a man who would just curled up on the motorway uh or, or by the side of the motorway and just just slept you do well to get me back on the bike after that i'd be like no yeah, i'm staying no, 10 Give minutes not fu- i'm staying yeah i'm, I'm, I'm asleep <laughs> it's i'm hard. out that, that that's where the mental toughness comes in because you get up and you've probably done the hardest day you've ever done on a bike so like my first day in corsica i did 371 kilometers and 7,700 meters of climbing. Now, that's pretty enormous. Yeah. Um, so that is that is by far the hardest day I've ever had on a bike. I'd slept for two hours in a tent. I was cold. I was wet. And you get up and you have to get on your bike and yeah. start riding your bike again. And that's that's the really, that's the hard thing. Yeah. Be an interesting thing for somebody to study. Like just have a load of different people each trying a different strategy, see which one kind of pays off. But it's different for different people, isn't it? Like how do you how do you judge what what to do you need a huge amount of experience to know what works for you you're talking so much of a beating on your system on different systems as well your brain is just shutting down you're not sleeping so you're shutting down from that perspective you're completely fatiguing your legs so like (laughs) i don't know how you go how you could control those variables and just go we don't know just get out there and go and the biggest animal the biggest brute is going to win this yeah, uh, 
I think not necessarily the biggest brute, but the the, the ones who can certainly suffer the most, uh, but also the one who then doesn't lose sight of the fact that they need to keep doing the doing the right things, doing eating, drinking, uh, taking the rest when they can. Um, that that's what will enable them to win. But yeah, it's 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 a massive learning curve for me because I'm so new to it all and I'm, I'm trying things and learning things every time, every time I go out and, and ride and every time I go out and race. Yeah. And how are you feeling sort of after it? Like, have you ever, like, did you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast at all? No. So he had a, this Marine guy on it, a guy called David Goggins. You would listen to that one, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. And he was talking about, he did this, uh, what was it? It was like a 24 hour run and he was like pissing blood by the end of it. Do you know, like how are, how are you feeling after some of these? Have you ever had any major kind of like, wow, I, I completely misplayed all of that and now I'm destroyed and I've got weird. You know, oh yeah. Out. So after, uh, after a man, um, my legs swelled up to twice their normal size. Nice. Uh, my knee, my left knee was completely destroyed. Um, I, I, everyone was kind of laughing at my cankles. Yeah. which is where your calves run seamlessly <laughs> into your ankles. Um, I had a huge saddle sore yeah. uh, that meant sitting was, was an issue. And, and it, took me, it took me at least a week before my legs went down to their normal size. Really? And it was probably two weeks before I could sit on a bike again. Yeah. And, and it took a good four weeks to properly recover from that. Um, luckily... Um, I've changed my position a lot, um, so I was a lot more comfortable going into Corsica, and um, you know, a lot less damage. But you're still super tired. You know, you just sleep twelve hours a day for the next four days, five days. Yeah, I can imagine. And has there like been any cases of people getting like rhabdomyolysis from it and stuff like so, like complete muscle death or anything? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine like, no. some of those hill climbs as well, like your quads are just like, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, there's not much eccentric, though. You, you never, that'd be different, different kind of con- contraction, just go, go, go. Yeah, go. but at that, at that length of time, like yeah, it almost doesn't matter some anymore. Serious damage. <laughs> what, what do you think you did wrong for that first one that, that compared to what you did the second time? Um, so I think from a, a race approach, I slept too much. I slept for seven hours in the first race uh, and both times I was checking into a hotel, sleeping in a bed. So I probably wasted a good three hours just getting into and out of the hotels uh, on both nights. So, you know, I looked at where I finished and I looked at, uh, so third place was a, a lady called Juliana Burring, who's, who's very famous in the ultra racing world. She finished uh, four hours ahead of me, but she didn't sleep. She just rode the whole thing without sleeping um so it kind of shows you where you can mm. uh you think that affected the, the muscle soreness and the the swelling um i think it's I, I think the muscle soreness and the swelling a lot of that was down to not having the right fit on the bike um that caused a lot of the uh, the knee pain and that caused the saddle sore um so what happened to the knee did, you, did it just go away the pain or, or did you have to yeah it, it subsided after right. a while I, you know I think it was basically uh, tendonitis patella tendonitis right. um, you know which, which is quite easily caused by not having the correct fit on a bike so you know I did some work with, with Toby who you had on last time yeah. and, and that's really sorted out my position to enable me to ride for a lot longer with, with much less uh, discomfort um, uh, you know, I think yeah, that fit was down to why I was struggling with with the pain. 
and when you're pain when you're in pain you you don't want to carry on you know you you find reasons why you should stop and rest yeah. for a while you you take longer at the at your stop because you just you, you kind of want the pain to not be there for a little bit longer and what do you think like thinking back to when you're younger what do you think led you to this point like why are you why is this your sport <laughs> yeah, why are you doing <laughs> why is this no, your sport I, I, not just football with the boys geez i've i've no idea i mean i love the uh, thing is i love cycling and what i love about cycling is the sense of journey there's nothing better than when you finish a bike ride and you look at Strava or whatever you've downloaded your ride to and you can see how far you've covered. You know, that sense of traveling through land is, is amazing. Um, you know, my wife and I did some touring last year and we did, uh, we did two weeks around the UK. And it's just such an amazing way to see the countryside because you can almost experience it changing. Sure. You can see the architecture change as you cover these big distances. So I kind of, that's what, a lot of what inspires me to get on the bike. Um, I think this is probably taking that to a, a somewhat illogical conclusion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as for the YGs, I, I, I've, I've no idea. Masochist. <laughs> it's a very interesting outlook on it though. But probably you know, you could trace that back to a very primal instinct of crossing land from a human hunter-gatherer perspective. That you know, you, you are you're, you're, you're traveling across landscapes, mountains, seeing countrysides. That's all very probably inherent in our nature. And on a bike, you get to do it in an efficient way. You're not just walking. You get to cover loads in, a, in an efficient amount of time. Yeah. No, I think I think you're probably right. I think you know. I just I, I love getting into the 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 flow of the ride the flow of the journey um I, i've discovered i really enjoy night riding riding through the night is just an amazing experience uh it's completely different to uh to, to normal riding um so like i said earlier i was out at alcudra 300 kilometers through the night just seemed to fly by what does your wife say uh so she's uh she's a cyclist as well uh she's super supportive um, she probably thinks I'm a little bit crazy as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone keeps saying to her, oh, Laura, you should go and do one of these events as well. And she just says, no chance. Um, she's uh, definitely more one for the, the shorter, right. kind of maybe four or five hour races. Yeah, shorter. Reasonable <laughs> races. <laughs> yeah. 200, 200 mountain tops to clear. That's interesting, though. Um, what's the difference you find between a night ride and a day ride, apart from the temperature? Um. I think you find yourself a little bit more hyper aware of all the sounds uh, around you. You know, you can hear all the animals, you can, uh, but you also have this kind of weird cocoon of light. So it's almost like cycling through a sensory deprivation tank. Right. You've just, you, you, you can't see really. So you just, your, your ears tune into everything else. And it's just, and if the moon's shining as well, that's just an amazing yeah, that, experience. And you probably get that here in Dubai with very little clouds. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So you're you said earlier on you've got you're on you've done two stages of this current competition. Yeah, so it's a it's a uh, biking man is a four race series. Uh, the first one was in Oman uh, back at the end of February. Uh, the second one was in Corsica, which finished uh, just over a week ago. Uh, the next one coming up is Peru, uh, which is called Inca Divide. Um, that is going to be really tough. That, that's quite a s smaller field for that because you really, 
you need to be really sure about what you're doing before you take on 1800 kilometers over the Andes. Uh, but then the next uh, shorter one is in Taiwan uh, in October. So they've, they've picked some really, really interesting places to go and do this, you know, places you wouldn't think of going. So like as a, as a European rider, people hadn't really heard of a man. Yeah. So these, these guys were coming over going, guys and girls were coming over going, wow, this is amazing. Um, and I think Taiwan is just going to be fantastic. So it's a, it's a shorter race. It's 1,200 kilometers, but much, much less climbing. Uh, it's, uh, they, they create really accessible ways of doing this kind of racing. Um, and it's through Taiwan. I mean, who's ridden in Taiwan? Yeah. I mean, I once spent 24 hours there because I got deported from South Korea. But that's a different <laughs> story. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I... I Everything I see says it's just going to be a completely different experience. It's got some really high mountains. Um, they do an annual uh, COM or King of the Mountains race there where you're racing up for, I think it's like 50 kilometers. You start at sea level and you finish at uh, nearly 3,000 meters above sea level. So, you know, there's going to be some big climbs on it. Uh, there's going to be some jungle. Um, there's going to be lots of animals that I'm probably afraid of. So I think there'll be some snakes and spiders and things, which that bit's freaking me out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, really, really looking forward to that. And, and hopefully, you know, from, from here in Dubai, it's an easy one to get to. It's, it's eight hours direct flight. So, you know, I, I've, uh, I'll be doing it. Um, I've got four of my clients are already uh, signed up, ready to go and do it. So we'll be doing some very specific uh, training and coaching for that um because it's it's probably only a third of it is the physiological side of things a third of it is developing all the mental stuff right uh, and a third of it is uh you know what i consider the operational side of the ride how do you manage your ride how do you manage your sleep how do you manage uh, things like charging batteries you know if you're gonna if you're gonna do well at this kind of event you've got to ride through the night which means you've got to have lights which means you've got to charge your lights mm. you've got to be able to navigate you know you you garmin or your wahoo element they last kind of 10 hours and then you have to recharge those so you need to think about all of these things you know it's not just turning up on the start line going well i'm physically ready Um, because you know it's not it's not the strongest who wins it's the one who can keep riding the most and do do people do this is there a group of people who do it just for the sense of accomplishment in completing it or is it only competitors uh People do it for all kinds of reasons, and I, and I think you know definitely there are some who do it for the sense of accomplishment, and it's it is a, a, a really deep sense of accomplishment. So there were quite a few people who went to Corsica whose whose aim was to this was their first ultra race just to get round. So we had yeah. uh, uh, Fatma who was the first Emirati lady to ever do a uh, an ultra race. Uh, she was like, I, I, I want to get round, and you could see the look of joy on her face yeah. as she crossed the finish line in four and a half days she, she was four and a half days she was just absolutely oh, I, want, I was about to ask you what's the sort of minimum effective dose that someone would need to do to complete that and you said four and a half days <laughs> <laughs> but are there are there prerequisites to some of it like will they will they bar people or can it be like anybody you can give it a go but so i think with the shorter ones you know anybody can give it a go so you know if people are listening and they think wow that sounds like fun then they can just sign up for Taiwan and, and go and race. Um, I, I would advise looking into it in a lot of detail and, yeah. and just understanding what it is you're letting yourself in for. It, it's, if you're strong-willed, 
and you're mentally tough, you can make it round. Um, you know, you just got to keep riding, keep riding, keep riding. But you need to understand that it is self-supported. There's no support vehicle. You stop. There's no car to come pick you up. You got to call a taxi and get back to the finish line. Um, it, it creates that sense of adventure, yeah. which which sometimes we don't have here in Dubai when yeah. we go rattling yeah, around sure. Al Qudra. And uh, so somebody who just thinks, right, I'm going to give this a go, not done any cycling before or done like cycling a long time ago, what's the kind of run-up preparation time or what does a, a, a training program look like just to get around? So I think, and again, it really depends on what level of fitness they're coming in with. Um, I'm looking at people going through uh, five months of preparation who are coming in as as fairly you know good cyclists um so if you're if you're here you're cycling you go out you do your group ride uh you go out a couple of times a week then you know four or five months you can get yourself ready to really be confident on the start line that you're going to get around uh and and that's really that's that's why i see my role as a coach mm-hmm. is in these kinds of scenarios it's about making sure people get on the start line and they have that confidence of yep i've done my training i know i'm strong enough I know how to manage my ride. I'm confident that as long as everything goes well, that I can get around. I mean, mm. you know, luck, luck can always kind of, bad luck can always strike. Um, I think for someone who's completely new to cycling, you, you're you probably going to need to get into cycling and get to a point before you decide this thing is right for you. Um, you kind of need to know that this is what you want your next journey in cycling to be. Um, but I'm seeing... You know, you talk to people after these events and you talk to, to people here in when you when you go out riding and, and people are interested. People are really uh, excited about this this kind of adventure and this kind of challenge. Yeah, I think people yearn for it. You know, we're, we're too stuck in offices and things like that. I think that's like a fundamental human need. I know that's one of our colleagues, Tom Otten. He sort of talks a lot about it. He's done a couple of TED Talks about it. Like, you just you need adventure. It's like part of who you are. It's part of your makeup biologically. It's like to to try and challenge and push yourself. Do you know? Yeah, I mean, what a what a great one to. You go back into the office on a Sunday morning. What did, what did you do uh, last week when you were on holiday? Well, I rode around Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In, in four and a half days. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, that's really that makes people sit up and go, wow, <laughs> that's that's definitely an adventure. So, what have you got then? What's what's the next few months looking like for you? When does all this happen? And. When are you finished and on to the next one? So um, I've got... Uh, Peru starts on the 1st of July. So I'm just kind of in the final stages of recovery from Corsica. I've been getting back on the bike, doing just some short rides. Uh, training will start with... Uh, w- start in anger uh, at the weekend. Um, going out with a few others and we'll do like 150k. Um, back to the UK for a bit. Um, so my wife's uh, parents live down in Somerset. So lots of hills around Somerset, lots of kind of five, six hour hilly rides, uh, some more specific, uh, intensity workouts. Um, then when I get back here, so I, I'll, I'll do it as a single training block. So we usually do uh, periodized training. So you'll do a block of, of normally four weeks is a training block. You'll do three weeks of increasing load. Then you'll have a recovery week to allow your body to properly adapt. And that's when you'd normally test and then go back into the next four week block. Um, I kind of have to adapt for the gap I've got between events here. So what I'll do is I'll do an extended uh, kind of five or six week block. I'll do my last really, really tough ride uh, about two weeks 
before race day itself. So with the, the race just gone, uh, my last tough, tough ride was uh, Jebel Hafeet. So I did Jebel Hafeet five times. Um, and that was two weeks before. Two-week taper going into the event. Two weeks is works for me. Um, with the previous race, I just did a, a one-week taper. wasn't enough. Two weeks of just reducing the volume but keeping the intensity. You actually you just feel yourself get stronger and stronger as you go through that taper. So, you know, for, for Peru, the taper will start. Uh, around 16th, 17th of, uh, of June. Um, I'll probably finish that training block with three or four ascents of Jebel, Haf- uh, Jebel Jace, uh, at, you know, a fairly quick pace. Uh, and then I'll fly out to Peru, hopefully 20, uh, 26th of June. Um, also hoping to have a new bike in place for then, um, getting a nice, nice moot made up for myself. Uh, which is a full-on titanium uh, gravel race machine. Peru is going to be 70% road, 30% uh, gravel. So, you know, it'll be fatter tyres, more comfortable position. Um, Yeah, get to to Peru four days beforehand, do a bit of uh, of video work with the team there. And then, uh, yeah, race starts on 1st of July. So where can people get a hold of you then? Where can they follow the stuff, the, the journey? So the best place to follow is on the Turn Cycling Facebook page. Uh, so just search for Turn Cycling or at Turn Cycling. Uh, that's our public Facebook page. Um, I do uh, all of the Facebook Live video through there. So we'll be doing Facebook Live video through there. You and can you're also... Hallucinating yeah, the yeah. Go and, go and have a look at me in the middle of a, of a village at midnight uh, with a strange woman laughing in the background. Um, <laughs> Also there, you can, you know, you'll see more of the stories about what our riders are up to. So uh, I'm encouraging people to do their own race reports to go on there. So we should have something up around from Chris around Mallorca 312 shortly. Uh, Another guy I coach is just off mountain biking in Georgia at the moment. So we'll get some stuff up on there. Um, Or alternatively, uh, people can email me. It's neil at turn.ae. Neil spelled N-I-E-L, just to be awkward. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, come and come and have a chat. Cool. Sweet. All right. Well, cheers for coming and speak to us. We'll uh, wish you best to look. Maybe we'll have you on when you're when you're finished it all and back in one piece. Yeah, excellent. That'd be good. Cool. All right. Okay. Cheers, Thanks, mate. guys. <laughs>